You can listen to episodes of Conversations with Joe earlier than everybody else and completely ad-free on Nebula. When you sign up for Nebula, our creator-owned streaming service, you not only get access to ad-free content from my channel, you also get bonus episodes in my videos and exclusive series not available anywhere else. Sign up for Nebula by clicking the link in the description or go to nebula.tv slash conversations with Joe to support the podcast and get more eye-opening content. This video is supported by Skillshare. It's October. It's a spooky time of year. And if you're like me, you like to watch spooky stuff in October. And one of my favorite spooky things to watch on YouTube are abandoned places videos. There are a ton of YouTube videos and whole channels dedicated to urban exploration, things like abandoned factories, abandoned schools, abandoned malls. Those are actually some of the creepiest, in my opinion. You know, there's something about abandoned places, that dichotomy of this place that's made for people, but there's no people there. You know, you can't help but feel like, why was it abandoned? What happened to the people that were there? What kind of stories does this place have? You know, even just an abandoned building is creepy, but then there's entire towns that have been abandoned. Ghost towns. Entire communities that were once bustling with families and life and business, now sitting empty and quiet slowly being reconsumed by nature. If you wanted to, say, create a super creepy video game, a ghost town would be a pretty great place to do it. And that's exactly what Konami did in 1999 with their breakout hit Silent Hill. Silent Hill is set in an abandoned town called Silent Hill, West Virginia, where the story has it that they had a, a mine fire underneath the town and it, you know, people abandoned it for that. But then in the game, as you explore the town, you find out that actually, you know, underneath it is this sort of underworld of ghoulish, nightmarish creatures and serial killers and monsters and, and yeah, I'm not a gamer. So that's, that's really all I know about Silent Hill. But I do know it was a really popular video game that spawned an entire franchise and a couple of movies that I've been told are garbage. And I know that Silent Hill was inspired by a real place, not in West Virginia, but in Pennsylvania. It's called Centralia, Pennsylvania. And while it doesn't sit on top of a portal to the netherworld, what is going on underneath the town has made it one of the most interesting ghost towns in America. To understand what happened in Centralia, you have to understand at least a little bit about how coal forms, because like a lot of the small towns that sprang up in the Appalachian area in the early 1800s, Centralia is a coal mining town. I'm sorry, Centralia was a coal mining town. So we all know that coal forms from organic plants, especially peat, that over time the geological processes compress it and heat it up and eventually it pushes all the carbon atoms together until it becomes this form of rock that has the neat little ability to, you know, catch fire. And some of the most conducive areas to create the plant life and the peat that's required to create coal over time are, are marshes and swamps that are fed by rivers. These rivers and waterways change directions and snake through the area over time as sediment builds up. Sometimes floods wash in and bury the whole area with sediment and then it all starts all over again. And over millions of years, as those swampy, peaty riverbeds compress, they form seams of coal that worm through the sedimentary rock. So coal mining in areas like this is basically a process of finding those coal seams and then just kind of following them wherever they go through the earth, you know, and it creates these labyrinthine tunnels that can pop in and out of the ground and then go down deep and wind left and right and up and down and these weird three-dimensional things with ventilation shafts everywhere. It gets really confusing. So mapping these mines was crucial, especially in the early days because cave-ins were common, accidents happened, and you had to be able to go and rescue people in the case of mine fires. Because mine fires were a thing that happened a lot. You know, the whole thing about coal is that it burns. And then you have these mines that are filled, the whole air is filled with particulate coal dust that just floats around. And, and then they're also using gas lamps 
to see their way and illuminate the mines and they use explosives to blow out new rock and clear the path to follow the seam even further. It's, it's actually amazing there weren't more mine fires back in the day. Mining disasters were just kind of a part of the way of life for a lot of these mining communities, especially back in the old days when it was completely unregulated. You know, you'd have cave-ins, natural gas explosions, leaks of toxic poisonous gas, mine fires, the list goes on. The worst mining accident in U.S. history was in Monoga, West Virginia in 1907. It was a natural gas explosion that had an official death toll of 362, but many think that it could have actually been up to over 500. Most of the victims were Italian immigrants and children. The worst accident ever was actually a mine fire in China in 1942. It was a mine that was run by the Japanese, and at the time they didn't really have the best record in, in dealing with the Chinese. <laughs> but yeah, this one was a mine fire, and they decided the best way to stop it was to sort of cap it to prevent the oxygen from getting in and feeding the fire, which makes sense. The only thing is they didn't bother to, you know, let the miners out. So 1,500 miners died from carbon monoxide poisoning. Yeah, I believe the word you're looking for here is damn. So for Centralia, Pennsylvania, mining disasters on a much smaller scale were a pretty common thing. It was a mining town going back to the 1850s. Centralia sat over a large deposit of anthracite coal, which is the most pure form of coal, so it was highly prized by the mostly Italian immigrants that settled there. It was never a large town. The population peaked at around 2700 in 1890, and most of those people were miners, families of miners, or people who ran services that serviced the miners. The depression hit the coal industry pretty hard and Centralia uh, suffered right along with a lot of the other towns in the area, but uh, it wasn't quite a knockout punch, they kept going. Also just energy use kind of changed a little bit, it switched to more petroleum and oil based over coal. So the population would continue to dwindle over the first half of the 20th century and by 1960 only about 1500 people lived in Centralia, but they were about to experience the most epic slow burn of all time. So as the story goes, in May of 1962, the city council wanted to uh, sort of clean up the landfill a little bit in preparation for Memorial Day festivities, and the way that they chose to do that was by setting it on fire. This wasn't an uncommon thing uh, back in that day, but in this particular case, the fire somehow, we don't really know how, but it somehow spread into one of these underground mine shafts. Next thing you know, there was a fire raging in a coal seam underneath Centralia. And that wasn't a big deal. They didn't really take it that seriously. Like I said, they'd had many disasters and accidents over the years, so they didn't really think too strongly about it. But they did need to shut down the mines because uh, there was carbon monoxide building up in there. They tried to suffocate the fire by shutting off access to oxygen, but the problem was, like I said, it was so labyrinthine inside of it. There were so many different ventilation shafts and places that just, it, it was impossible. The fire spread so fast that it eventually became clear that there was no containing it and any solutions that they did come up with were just way too expensive. So the mines were shut down permanently and mining in Centralia, Pennsylvania was officially a thing of the past. Now this alone caused the population to dwindle over the next 20 years because, you know, mining was the main employer of the town, so people left to find other job opportunities. You know, this is the same thing that happened hundreds of years earlier to oil towns and gold rush towns. Once that resource is gone, the town is close behind. But add on top of that the fact that, you know, there's this raging fire underneath the town. The ground was measured at 900 degrees Fahrenheit in some places and people began complaining of headaches and nausea due to carbon monoxide buildup. People reported basements filling up with smoke, the ground underneath the streets became unstable so streets became undrivable. Houses began to buckle and tilt, I mean just imagine the foundation problems. There were even stories of graves in the cemeteries burning up and falling down into fire pits below. I mean, that's some horror movie shit right there. But still, many of the townspeople held on. 
it wasn't because they thought the fire was going to go out. Geologists predicted that it was going to be going for a couple hundred years, probably. But, you know, this was their home, and they didn't want to leave. But there was also the financial problem of, you know, even if you want to move, who are you going to sell your house to? Not a lot of people looking to buy a home that's teetering on the edge of a hellish cauldron of flame. And if you own a mortgage, or if you have a mortgage on this house and you're still paying on it, you're kind of stuck there. Besides, many people felt perfectly safe there. This fire had been going for a couple of decades at this point. I mean, it's not like it had hurt anybody. I mean, it's not like the ground had given way underneath somebody's feet, causing them to fall into a burning cauldron hundreds of feet deep or anything. <laughs> you can see where this is going. On Valentine's Day in 1981, a 12-year-old boy named Todd Dombrowski was walking across his grandmother's yard when a sinkhole opened up underneath him, dropping him into a cavern 150 feet high. And just about the biggest stroke of luck I've ever heard of, there was a tree root that just happened to be going across that sinkhole that he was able to hang on to while a cousin went and got help. But for a lot of local and state authorities, this was the final straw. An act was passed through Congress that paid the people of Centralia for their homes to try to encourage them to move out, and many of them took them up on that offer. The population went from about 1,000 in 1980 to 63 in 1990. These were the holdouts, and they fought tooth and nail to hang on to their residency there in Centralia, but even their days were numbered. In 1992, the state of Pennsylvania condemned all the buildings in Centralia to try to, you know, finally force everybody out. They stopped running mail there, and they eventually turned to eminent domain. Today, there are officially seven residents in Centralia, and the authorities have kind of just decided to let them stay there as long as they take responsibility for their own risk and everything. Uh, nobody wants to be seen as the politician that forced people out of their homes. They are, however, banned from selling or passing on their homes to anybody in the future. Today, Centralia is more of a quirky tourist spot than anything. Now, there's not really much to see there. After the residents left, the state just bulldozed all the homes and buildings there, which was heavily contested by the residents. I mean, they're, they're watching their homes where they grew up being torn to the ground. Former residents say the town is unrecognizable today. Forests have already filled in areas that were once blocks of homes with backyards with children playing. Streets are unmarked and frayed at the edges. A few foundations, a random stair step or two. And if you're lucky, you can find a vent sticking out of the ground or some random smoke, but otherwise you wouldn't know that the town is sitting on top of a brick pizza oven. In a bit of an epilogue, when the fires damaged Highway 61 beyond repair, uh, the, the state decided that a simpler way to fix the problem is just to create a new highway that goes around the worst of the unstable ground. And the old highway kind of became a tourist attraction of its own. Somewhere along the way, visitors began tagging the abandoned highway with graffiti. After a while, it became known for it, this random stretch of mangled highway in the middle of the woods just covered with graffiti. Now known as Graffiti Highway, it was a must-see for any curious Centralia visitors. It was a place where people could leave something of themselves in this ghost town. It was a way for them to become a part of it. Graffiti Highway became the sixth most visited tourist attraction in Pennsylvania, drawing photographers and Instagrammers. Events have been held there, which didn't sit well with the locals. They complained about the usual stuff, the noise, the trash, the fact that it's an unsafe area, the fact that some of the graffiti was spilling over into private property and into the cemetery at the end of the road. But this year, as coronavirus hit and people were still gathering in, in large events out there, that was, that, was kind of, that was kind of the final straw for them. A company called Pegnoti that actually owns the land eventually got so many complaints about it that they decided that it just wasn't a risk that they were willing to bear anymore. So earlier this year, they covered up Graffiti Highway with soil. So the Graffiti Highway is no more. A huge campaign was launched to try to save the graffiti highway, but yeah, it was to no avail. Just like the former residents fought to save their homes, this new group came later and tried to save their own piece of Centralia. 
Now, amazingly, the fire underneath Centralia is just one of 38 known mine fires in Pennsylvania that are burning right now. Now, none of the others are threatening any small towns that I'm aware of anyway that I could find, but around the world, Centralia isn't alone. Nor is it the worst. In Jiria, India, over 70 different mine fires going back to the 1800s have eventually coalesced into one giant mine fire that's swallowed homes, destroyed train tracks, even drained a river. Yeah, in 1995, a riverbank collapsed that drained a river into a mine shaft that killed 78 workers. And the Jiria fire is not just a problem because of the destruction of property and whatnot that's going on. It also pumps thousands of tons of CO2 into the atmosphere every year. A burning coal seam in Brandenburg, Germany has been burning since 1688. They don't know exactly how it started, but to this day, visitors can go and you can see steam and smoke coming out of the ground. And apparently back in the day, kids used to go and steam eggs over some of these cracks. I guess steaming eggs was like the PlayStation of its time. But if a 300-year burning fire sounds insane, you should check out the Burning Mountain near Wingen, New South Wales in Australia. This is a fire underneath this mountain that's been burning for an estimated 6,000 years. The entirety of recorded human history, this fire has been burning. It's estimated to be traveling due south at a rate at about one meter per year, which would put it in Sydney in about 225,000 years. So if you live in Sydney, better start making plans. Obviously, Sydney's not in danger anytime soon, but many other cities are, not by coal fires, but from rising sea levels. It's estimated that by 2050, 570 uh, low-lying coastal cities are gonna experience at least a half a meter of sea level rise. That equates to over 800 million people. This means more intense storms, more flooding events, and more damage to essential infrastructure and services. Some of the most vulnerable cities include Jakarta, Bangkok, Lagos, Manila, Dhaka, Shanghai, London, and Houston, which is not only right at sea level, but is actually sinking due to the extraction of groundwater, oil, and natural gas underneath. Assuming things continue at this current rate, millions of people are gonna find themselves in a similar situation to the people of Centralia. In fact, I would argue that the small towns are in even more danger than the big cities because, of course, they're going to focus more attention on saving the big population hubs because more people there. I mean, how are people going to react when it becomes obvious that the place that they live, the place that they call home, isn't safe anymore? Human beings have a very strong connection to place. It's part of our identity. It's part of our history. You know, it's a huge world with a lot of things to experience and go see, but most of us spend most of our lives pretty close to where we grew up. I'm guilty of this. I mean, I've never lived outside of a hundred mile radius of where I was born. You know, add on top of that the economic problem again of, you know, what do you do? Who do you sell your home to when floodwaters are lapping up against your front door? And I think you can get a good picture of what we're going to see over the next hundred years when these problems really start to manifest. Centralia is kind of a metaphor for what's going on around the world right now. You know, this hidden danger underneath our feet threatening to take away our way of life while we just kind of mostly ignore the problem and carry on just delaying the inevitable. Centralia is the canary in the coal mine. The charred canary in the flaming coal mine. But hey, to end on a lighter note, I talked earlier about how Centralia inspired Silent Hill. It also inspired another movie with a vastly different tone. Uh, a vastly different everything, really. It's called Nothing But Trouble, and it was written and directed by Dan Aykroyd, and it is... it is a weird movie. <laughs> It takes place in a town called Vulcanvania that's fallen into abandonment and disrepair because of a coal mine fire under the town. And it's run by this crazy judge played by Dan Aykroyd that sentences people to death by putting them on this roller coaster called the Bone Stripper that just turns people into skeletons. The courthouse is in his home and it's like this bizarre Winchester mystery house place with rooms to nowhere and secret passages and it's in the middle of this junkyard that's run by these two giant babies in diapers. 
It is the biggest hot mess of a movie ever, and I love it. It's got John Candy in it, Chevy Chase, Demi Moore, Dan Aykroyd plays like five different characters in the movie. The Digital Underground shows up, and there's just this random musical number right in the middle of it. Tupac Shakur was in there. Tupac Shakur made his film debut in this movie. So hey, Centralia is a sad story, but at least it spawned one of the most bonkers movies of all time. And it's actually inspired a lot of people. There's some really cool uh, documentaries about uh, Centralia out there on the internet. I'll, I'll put them in the description down below. But if there's something in your hometown that's inspired you in some way, or a story in your family, just some story that you always wanted to tell but you didn't really know exactly how to approach it, one place that I could recommend you go to get some more inspiration would be DIY Cinematography, Make Your Video Look Like a Movie on Skillshare. Taught by filmmaker Ryan Booth, who's done a lot of behind-the-scenes documentaries on movies, including The Revenant, in this class he'll walk you through his creative process to make his stories look beautiful, intentional, and of higher production value in a quick and easy way using the tools you already have available. As he says in the first video, the goal is to make you look at your own work and say, hey, that looks like a movie. So by the end of the class, you'll have the confidence to take on that creative project and tell that story you've been thinking about for a while now. This is, of course, just one of thousands of classes on Skillshare covering everything from business essentials, graphic design, marketing, video production, cooking, basically anything you're interested in, there's an expert there ready to teach it to you on Skillshare. Join the millions of people who are learning on Skillshare today. If you're one of the first thousand people to sign up at the link down below, you'll get a free trial of Skillshare Premium, and it's only $10 a month after that. There's a ton of stuff to learn on Skillshare. I can highly recommend it, so go check it out. Link's down below. Thanks to Skillshare for supporting this video and a huge shout out to the Answer Files on Patreon that are supporting this entire channel, helping me grow a team and just forming an awesome community. They're good people. And there's some new people that uh, have just joined. I need to murder the names real quick. We got Patrick J. Hammers, uh, Daniel Hansen, Paul Herring, Tyler Durden. I don't think that's his real name. Uh, Mary Boerlein, Ray Wyman Jr., Joe Carpenter, Chris Guffey, Rova T., Gustav Comps, and Craig Robinson. Thank you guys so much. If you'd like to join them, get early access to videos, some behind the scenes stuff, bloopers from time to time, and exclusive live streams, you can go to patreon.com slash answerswithjoe. Please do like and share this video if you liked it, and if this is your first time here, Google thinks you'll like this one, so why not? Or you can check out any of the videos down here that have my face on it, and if you like them, I invite you to subscribe. I come back with videos every Monday. You'll be the first to see it. All right, that's it for now. You guys go out there, have an eye-opening week, and I'll see you next Monday. Love you guys. Take care.